Welcome to Leader You by Black River Performance Management, where we believe work should fuel the human spirit, not drain it. In this leadership podcast, we will dive into the lived experiences of people flourishing in today's workplace and beyond. Join us to hear real-life examples of experiences from our own lives and from the leaders we know and trust. I'm excited to announce that I'm launching two new courses. Both courses will begin January 9th, and registration is now open on our website. You can go to the Leader U tab and click on Master Classes, and then you will see the options of Emotional Intelligence and Self-Leadership. In each of those tabs, you can learn more about each of those courses, what they will cover, what the expectations are, frequently asked questions, as well as what's the benefit to you and what's the benefit to your employer. I would love to have you join me on this journey. I look forward to enhancing and creating a life that you love in 2024. I hope to be a part of that. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at blackriverpm.com. Thank you for joining us on the Leader You podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Ryan Berman. He has more than 20 years in the courageous idea space and an intimate understanding of the intricacies of emotional storytelling for the purposes of driving courageous change. Ryan, a practitioner and authority on the subject, has had his methods featured in Entrepreneur, Fast Company, and Forbes. In addition to giving talks at Google, Snapchat, and Charity Water, Ryan speaks all over the country to C-suite marketing and professional service audiences on the topic. He covers the learnings found in his book, Return on Courage, a business playbook for change. Living in San Diego, California, Ryan has the good fortune of creating stories for household brands such as Caesars Entertainment, Johnson & Johnson, Kraft, Heinz, Major League, Base- Major League Baseball, Puma, Qualcomm, and Subway. He's been featured on a panoply of podcasts, including Adam Markle's New Pivot podcast, Brian Kramer's H2H podcast, Awesome at Your Job podcast, and Rhett Power. Ryan also has his own courage brand called Sock Problems, an altruistic sock company that strives to sock world problems with socks. Finally, Ryan launched a Courage Boot Camp and has an eight-week online course helping companies galvanize their staff and pinpoint their best talent. I am so excited to have you today, Ryan. Thank you for joining me. Oh, yeah. Wow, that guy sounds interesting. I want to meet, I want to meet that guy. I mean, geez. <laughs> let me, like, let the listener know, like, I didn't even have to read all that, you know. I, I I know you do it on your end, but I, if I were gonna give myself a shorter bio, I would say observationalist, dad, husband, um, clarity expert. I'd probably leave it at that. I love it. Storyteller, storyteller's probably in there too. That's okay. definitely in there too. But uh, the, the the fancy bio, I always it's a funny thing, and I know why you do it, and you have to do it, and, and it's but it's all just been a journey, and you go from one opportunity to the next, and uh, next thing you know, you have a bio that takes twenty seven minutes to read, and this concludes the podcast. So my apologies to the listener. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. So let's talk about the journey. Like where where did you start out, and how did you arrive doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, I never in a million years thought this is what I would be doing. Um, I I think I have to go back to 14-year-old version of Ryan Berman, like little thin Ryan Berman with air. And I'm on the beach in uh, right outside of Maryland. There's a beach in Bethany Beach. And we had always gone to the beach with 
a family from New York. And uh, I think at this particular moment in time, I was probably imitating some sportscaster or something I had seen on TV. And, and I remember my friend's parents going, oh, my gosh, Ryan, you're so funny. Like, you should go to television radio school at Ithaca College. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You can study television radio? For I, I'm an expert in television. I've been watching television my whole life. Like, tell me more. And, you know, the irony is I ended up, you know, seven, eight years later, going to school, television, radio major at Ithaca College. And I think that was the first place where I really learned story. And while I was there, my, you know, I don't think they were called guidance counselors, but the, my advisor, um, he reminded me of Papa Smurf. He was an amazing man. His name was Howard Kogan. He is actually responsible for Ithaca is Gorgeous, this famous T-shirt that kind of plays in the Northeast. And um, Howard's like, have you ever thought about advertising? Because he's like, you're quick-witted and you're clever and you should at least explore some classes. And he was talking about this class that three years down the line that he teaches that maybe I should take. And I don't think he was just like trying to opt in kids. I think he really saw something in Mm -hmm. me. And, you know, you fast forward and I, I come out of school with uh you know taking all these classes in advertising and i loved just the idea of how creativity and business came together make a long story short i ended up going to new york city ran uh i was part of a 700 person creative agency started on one side of the brain didn't get my first choice basically mm-hmm. then got moved over into the creative side and got to travel around the country shooting commercials where that really mattered uh, the way I've always been wired is like laser focus on a goal. If it takes a thousand days, so what? Mm-hmm. Get there. And then it's like, okay, cool. I did it. Now what? What's the next goal? And so my only goal at that time in my life in New York City, and I mean, I had no responsibility. There was no family. Yeah, there's no kids. It was just me trying to survive New York City, this awesome sort of breeding ground for creativity was to get into the creative department. And Mm -hmm. I did a a lot of stuff you saw on TV. Some of this I'm slightly embarrassed of now. I did a lot of the subway work. Yes, I did a lot of the Subway Jared campaign. No, I had no idea about this guy, obviously. But it it gave me confidence that that I could tell storytelling at the highest level. The now what was then longer form story structure. I took night classes for movies. And really what they taught me was how stories come to life and like the different acts and what happens to the main character and what the main character needs to be successful. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to go spend back then it was $10 now, $20 to go to the movies, you better in the first five minutes, give me a real good reason to root for the protagonist. If I'm going to hunker down and give two hours of my life, I better love this protagonist because I'm going to go along on the journey. And you learned about the differences between act, one and act two and act three which is sort of you know metaphorical of of how you and i know each other right Mm -hmm. with with modern elder academy because it's looking at a new act it's looking at an act break and what do you do in that next life so uh it gives me the courage to move to california Uh, i actually chose san diego because i knew a couple there that were my friends Mm -hmm. from the city and i thought i was going to be inspired by the beach and write movies and go to la and Never in a million years thought that I would become an entrepreneur, but 
I moved on September 11th, 2004. You're going to remember that date, although it was a different September 11th. Yeah. And by October 11th, I had started my first creative agency with the strategist, the woman who I moved in with. And we started as four people out of a house. The idea of writing movies was backburnered, and it was like, oh, shoot, I'm doing this. I I mean, I don't. I took television radio classes, not business classes. Mm-hmm. So it then became a, how do I do this? And now I describe it as like, what got me through it was fear, stubbornness, willingness, and probably a little bit of talent, right, if you're going to mm-hmm. be able to pull this off. And I'd say over the course of about, gosh, from 04 to basically 15, I filled out the business bingo card. There was a merge. There was a buyout. There was a acquisition offer. Um, and then I eventually, you know, got bought out in 2017. We were 90 people at the time. And I had just come out of the, the writing of my book. And everything I learned on that journey pretty much gave me the courage to fire myself mm-hmm. and start start this the journey that I'm on now, which is courageous. I'd say the last five years I've been in, in this world, and this world is partially courageous leadership, partially courageous ideas, which is the world I came from, and partially courageous reinvention, which is helping companies that are stuck, mm-hmm. that are scared, that are stale, or that are safe. And, you know, you think about what you need to shift and to pivot. It's utilizing what I learned on my 1,000-day journey, writing Return on Courage. There's a framework that came out of that. And, again, in the spirit of story, it started with me. Like, everything I learned basically was like, wow, I how can I write a book about courage and stay in my last life? And everything I had learned pretty much was like, it's time for me to go. Mm-hmm. Um, not an easy decision, right? Like, not an right. easy moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, I could talk about this. Or, you know, you tell me when to get out of the way. But like Angie, have you ever had that feeling, like you're in the office that you thought you wanted, and I had hired well. We were like again, we were about ninety people, so I had hired well. We had a, I had two people that were direct reports, but they were talented, and they, I'd done my job to get out of the way. And so here I am, I'm like, is this how I'm supposed to feel? Mm-hmm. And I knew I felt slightly off and numb. I, and I was like, I don't think this is it. So when I go on the the book writing journey, and again, I at the time, I think I'm writing the book because the premise of my last creative agency is courageous ideas are the only ones that matter. I think it's like a devious attempt to position that last business, right? And as I meet with all these different leaders, it becomes apparently clear that the universe has a different plan for me. Each of them is like a age wizard, mentor, master that I need to meet with a lesson that I need to hear. And um, and from there, it was pretty much like as I, as I started to learn, you can teach companies or leaders how to be courageous. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had to start with myself and my own company. Isn't it funny how that happens? <laughs> you try to teach something to someone and it comes right back, doesn't it? 
it, 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 and again, it was, I could lie to myself mm-hmm. about it or I could at least address it head on. And so I'd say from 2015 to 2017 was the, the thousand day March. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called it interviewing the brave, the bullish and the brainiac, mm-hmm. um, had the opportunity to sit with some amazing people. They weren't clients. I wasn't paying them. There was just something about the topic of courage that resonated with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me to, you know, let's see here. Now the CEO of Domino's, Russell Wallach. Um, I met with um, excuse me, Russell Weiner. I also met with the president of Live Nation, Russell Wallach. Get those names mixed up mm-hmm. all the time. Eric Ryan, founder of Method Soap. And they're like, yeah, come up and have lunch with me. Uh, astronauts, Navy SEALs, tornado chasers, firefighters. I can't wait to read the and book. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it was just yeah. like an awesome, yeah. uh, it's almost like an unfair journey. Mm-hmm. You're sitting with, with a Navy, Navy SEALs. Jeff Boss is one that comes to mind, and you're like, why do you do what you do? Mm-hmm. How do you do what you do? You know what's coming. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the process like? Jeff said that Navy SEAL training, I think these were the words he used, they called it stress inoculation. Boy, that sounds like marketing if I've ever heard of. <laughs> stress inoculation. What he, really, right, what he really meant was they're going to make sure that they've seen everything before they see live rounds. Mm-hmm. So they, they're managing your stress mm-hmm. before you ever go into that situation. That reminded me, I, I interviewed a woman that was uh, a bank teller who was robbed at gunpoint. This is another story that's in the book. She wasn't, like, if I like, had a crystal ball, like, hey, you're going to get robbed if you take this job. Mm-hmm. You think you think she takes the job? <laughs> not Most likely not. Right? Probably not, yeah. right? But... So she had to pass the training modules mm-hmm. in order to get the job. And then when she gets robbed, the I remember she said the robber said, don't turn this into a homicide. And the training took over. She almost went into autopilot and she followed it to a T. So here's you've got two people, a Navy SEAL who consciously, willingly knows what's coming. Mm-hmm. And he's trained for that moment. And you've got a bank teller who hopes... She never needs to use the training, and mm-hmm. then it kicks in. And I think that that was the aha moment. Whether you opt in or not, it's the training mm-hmm. that's needed. So if you could train people to be courageous, if you could hold their hand and give them the actual tools step by step, maybe that is the difference. And so that was like one one of the little moments that was like a data point that I was on the right path. Mm-hmm. Well, now how do you train them, and what are the actual steps, and I don't want to give the book away, but like that's what's really in the book is the framework. And it it takes you through the differences between a careless move and a courageous move. I believe it also takes you through the differences between a resilient move and a courageous move. I think resilience and, and courage are are close. We'll call them cousins, mm-hmm. but they're not the, they're not they're not the same thing. I think you don't get a say on change and it's happening whether you like it or not. Mhm. But resilience is when is when change is happening to you and how you respond to that. Mm-hmm. And courage is when you're driving change. So one is change drives you. That's resilient. None of us said, hey, I'm, I'm in on COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Like it happened to us. And it was how we responded to that. And But when you hit the gas and you're proactive and you're driving change, 
I think that's an act of courage. And that's really the business that I'm in is helping leaders and companies get clear on what matters the most so they can figure out their narrative and drive that narrative inside their organization first and then take it to the outside world. Absolutely. So when I I read your blog, that's kind of that's how I came to know you. Uh, you wrote a blog for MEA and there was a couple of things that really stood out to me that resonated with me and um you, you the the blog was I can't remember the name of the blog, but I, there was a couple of things. It was you were talking about survival mode, success mode, and soul mode, right? And you talk about creating an environment um, for people, you know, to thrive in and f- to start that. And you talk about um, living in purpose, making sure that they're living in their purpose, and that courage is regret insurance. And there, there were so many things in that article that, or in that blog that just resonated with me. Um, I work with a lot of leaders, um, lots of executives, and, and even all, all, all throughout the organization. And one of the things that I see consistently is fear, fear of making a mistake, fear of not being liked, fear of making the wrong decision. You name it, fear, 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 fear. And we live in a very fear-based society. I think that's one of the biggest problems that we're facing is just living in fear and being paralyzed by it. Um, And so I love that you've talked about it being a skill set because I absolutely think it is a skill set that you can learn like anything else. But it's kind of like where we've got to practice it, right? So... I, I really love the blog um, that you put on the MEA Wisdom Well, and I, I, I really just attracted me to what you're doing to get to your website, to read some of your blogs. To Now I want to read your book. I just haven't had the time because it it's all went so fast. Um, what have you been doing? I mean, you haven't read the book <laughs> It's been yet? like two I mean, days since I talked to you, and I've... Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'll get to it, yeah. uh, maybe over Thanksgiving. Um, what, what we... Believe, I mean, I, oh, Go ahead. I was going to say, I I feel like a lot of people early in their career, you don't have a lot of say. You don't really get a – nobody asks you, right? (laughs) You don't really get to design the life perfectly the way you want to live it. You know, go back to that that television radio version of me. And I remember back then just being like, I will do that for money. Yeah, I'm in. You want to pay me to be in advertising? And I didn't get, like, again, I didn't get my first choice. I was, I got a job as a writer on a on the business development team. And I wanted to be a creative. But it was like, um, it's like getting into the college you want, but not getting your major. Mm-hmm. Like, cool, I'm in. Now I got to work my way into that group. But, like, I had to just basically survive that. I didn't get a say who my boss was. I really had no idea how to negotiate. Mm-hmm. You know, I I didn't get to pick my peers. So you go through that first decade, you know, maybe it's five years, 10 years, could be 15 years of what I would call survival mm-hmm. mode. And you're just, you're just learning a lot and you're just trying not to drown. Mm-hmm. And you, you run into, I think you run into that, Oh, uh, you learn what to do by watching what not to do 
years. Mm-hmm. It happens in the survival years. And you're like, oh, man, I'm never going to be like that boss. Mm-hmm. Right? Teachers. Or, wow, you know, I'm never going to say it like that. Mm-hmm. And over that same period of time, you probably run into no less than a handful of people that you're, like, really impressed by. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, like, I want to – I need to stay in touch with that person. I want to stay connected. We, our logics match up. Mm-hmm. And as you, as the world sort of slows down for you and you start to understand how the operation works and you start to get some wins, you slip into what I call success mode. And success mode is like, you kind of know who not to work for. You know who to matador, mm-hmm. right? And this could be five years, 10 years, another 15 years of working and it's it's really the the opportunity where things slow down you've 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 earned your reputation you're probably monetizing that opportunity and there becomes a time a little later where you start to get a little numb Mm because you've been doing the same thing over and over again and and maybe it's been self-serving that's okay self-serving is hey you got a family you got you want to put Somebody through college or you mm-hmm. want to save for a 401k. And I think that um, that next wave is what I call soul mood. And it's it's really what you talked about with purpose. And mm-hmm. I can already tell you, if someone's listening to this podcast, they already care about purpose because you care about purpose. But, okay, let's say, let's say there's you don't care about purpose yet. Maybe it's not time for you to care about purpose. You're still in survival mode. It's too far away mm-hmm. or you're you're in success mode and you're chopping wood and you're collecting, you know, revenue or money for for all the things. Mm-hmm. At some point, you get to a point where it slows down and it's more than money and it's like what's my impact? What what am I going to give back? Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about courageous. If I learned anything from marketing in story, what I learned is you can't be all things to all people, mm-hmm. right? If you try to stand for everyone, you stand for no one. And what happens a lot in life is we we actually figure out that little moment, that little sliver of what we should be known for, but we don't want to offend anybody, so we, we stay too wide on our aperture. And, mm-hmm. and what I've learned is like, no, in marketing, it's like pick a lane. This is now the... The fourth brand, fourth business I've started, I finally got the name right, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, what I love most about Courageous is it tells the world who we're not for as much as who we are for. And so I don't get calls from certain people that it would be a waste of time anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like, good. Like, let's, we're here for a very short period of time. I'm sure as you think about the work that you're doing, the energy you get when you have willing customers that love the work that you do, it's versus you having to convince somebody mm, that yeah. they need it. Well, That's that, exhausting. It does. And that actually goes back to our motto, which is work should fuel the human spirit, not drain it. And so as I, as I think about that, what is, how do you align with that, with what you're doing? Well, I mean, just couldn't be more aligned. You know, again, we're we're trying to do everything possible to vet 
qualified leads. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've got all sorts of ways, like think about this, right? The MEA blog. Mm-hmm. That landed with you, right? Ah, oh, that's an opt-in. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, I've got Return on Courage as a book. So, hey, read the book. If you like the book, let's talk. If you don't like the book, that's cool. I'm just mm-hmm. not the guy for you or not the company for you. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Right. It's, it's, there's no fear there for me. Right? It's not personal. <clears throat> now, with a lot of our clients, I've been saying, you know, fear fighting since 2019. We're, mm-hmm. we're corporate fear fighters. Like, that is the business that we're in. We're, we're, we're in the fear shrinkage business, right? Where is the fear? <laughs> How do we attack the fear and address it? And as you know, you know, to the listener, think about someplace in your business right now where you've suppressed a fear. You just don't even want to deal. Like, you, you don't even realize you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're like, hey, well, let's address the fear versus suppress the fear. Name and it what and I want it. is the mm-hmm. – say it again? Name it and tame it. <laughs> I love that. Name yeah. it and tame it. Right? Yep. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah, we say state it and create it. That's okay. how you know. So, so <laughs> yeah. we're, we're singing the same song here. Yeah. And, um, and to your point on energy – I always say there's three types of people in the world. People that drain your energy, people that you gain energy from, Mm -hmm. and then their third, I think, is maintain energy. They maintain your energy. I'm not sure maintain energy is a great place either, sort of neutral. Mm -hmm. Drain energy, cut them. Vampires. Gain energy, (laughs) bring them in as fast as possible. So we're we're very aligned on on Mm -hmm. that world. Yeah, so a lot of people that listen to our podcast are like in the trenches. They're working every day. They're doing their best. I would say that most of them might not even know or be self-aware enough to know that they they know they have these icky feelings, but they don't know how to name them or to recognize or to even admit. They haven't gotten to the space of being vulnerable yet. And one of the one of our tenets at Black River is that vulnerability does not equal weakness. It actually is our greatest measure of courage. And that is something that I, I I'd like to have you address because there's there had to be some time in your career. For me, I was working in the operating room and I was just looking around at people and watching stuff and be thinking, People don't even understand how their behaviors are impacting people. They don't understand what they just said. They don't understand, this surgeon doesn't understand that they just made everybody in the room afraid of them. And now nobody's going to speak up and that's going to put their patient at risk. Yeah, I mean, I I think that this is a awareness problem, right? This is a self-awareness hiccup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a you don't have to do this alone problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I do this exercise in many of my keynotes where I talk about the cockroach, right? This thing that could survive a nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. And there's like these three insights that you could take away from La cucaracha. The first is in Latin, cockroaches, blada, which means into the darkness. And we as humans like to stay in the light. Mm-hmm. We don't like the darkness. We like to stay where it's nice and safe. 
Uh, the second insight, and you kind of know this, you, you can see the image even though we don't have to show it, right? Which is, well, when you see one La Cucaracha, they're rarely by themselves, right? You see one, and you can imagine the slide, right? You see many, and these are gregarious little creatures that enjoy being together. Now, when we finally choose to go to the darkness, usually we go by ourselves, we go down there by like alone and we're afraid. And so I can imagine that operating room team that's not act they're more a group than a team, mm-hmm. especially if they're not playing like a team. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they're all going there alone because the energy's been sucked out of the room. Mm-hmm. And so you know, again, the cockroach not afraid to go to the darkness. And when they go down there, they go down together. And three, this there there's a study done that if you chopped off a cockroach's head, I know you're like, where is Ryan going with this? It could actually live for up to 30 days. Wow. Now, I don't know what its purpose would be. This is one of the worst studies on the planet. Like somebody actually sat there was like 27 days, 28 days, 29 days. (laughs) But how often have we gotten stuck in our own heads? Mm Mm-hmm. You know exactly the right move to make, and we can never get out of our own heads. We, we're stuck there and versus getting into our guts, into our hearts, mm-hmm. into our intuition. So I often will start a keynote or a workshop talking about, okay, by the end of today, it's about acknowledging that we're going to go into the darkness. You don't have to go alone. Look around. Mm-hmm. You're going to make some friends. You're going to make some relationships. And then how do you get out of that paralysis of your head into your intuition, into your gut, into your heart and trust that because that's still connected to your brain and it's an, it is still on rooted on experience. And I think all of this, if I'm the listener right now is a very long winded way of saying, stop trying to do this by yourself. Mm-hmm. Ask for help. You didn't learn. Ask for help. You didn't learn to drive by yourself. There was somebody that you had to go and pass the test before mm-hmm. you jumped into that world. And so I think it's just that. I think it's just surround yourself with your tribe, your raft mates, mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to experiment in that space. I, I completely agree that asking for help is an act of courage. It's a vulnerable space, but but it is so important. And most people, I would say and argue that they want to help. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're back to the soul, right? Mm-hmm. To the soul component. And I think the the more time we've been on this planet and the slower the world gets, even though we have less time, I think the more we want to help and we want to share. Mm-hmm. We want to share what we've learned. And, and again, the world's moving forward and mm-hmm. we all have to keep learning and growing. And But that that is the beautiful thing about mentorship, in my opinion. I love it. I love the mentorship, the um, chip, what does he call it? The um, mentorship, something like that. Um, So as as you've been on this path, um, what what is one of the things that has scared you the most or you've been most afraid of and you've done it anyway? I mean, leaving my last life, leaving agency life, 
by far, you know, because basically from 1998 to 2000 and gosh, let's hear 20, 2015. I was in the advertising world. That was my world. Even, even when I was in a leadership position, I still felt like that was my arena. And your identity is wrapped up in that, mm-hmm. right? You're like, this is what I am. This is what the community knows me as. Or in my head, that's what I assumed, right? Mm-hmm. And um, again, I have this image of me sitting in that office just sort of going, is this it? Is this, is this how I'm supposed to feel? Mm-hmm. So I was more mad a year before I actually left. I, was, I wasn't mad at anybody other than my like, like myself, you know, that I had put myself in that spot. And, you know, I don't think I did anything wrong. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change like a day of, of my past experiences, but I knew it was the scary part was coming. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I had made the decision. There's going to be a lot of change in front of me. And, um, you know, it's funny because that was a conscious moment. Mm-hmm. And but I look back at a lot of the decisions that I made, and I was maybe more. I had I didn't have the awareness that I was being courageous. Mm-hmm. You know, m- moving to New York City at twenty two, where you know, you know nobody. You're just going on the adventure, right? Right, or or even uh, look at the age of eight, I was on an airplane flying two states away. Because I wanted to go to this month long summer camp, that was exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been up for the adventure, but I think a lot of it, it didn't feel like courage, or some other to me. So I think other people would see that as and they'd be scared. And there's a statistic that fifty percent of the U.S. population lives fifty miles from where they're born. Wow. I mean, the apple really doesn't fall far from the tree. You got a hundred seventy million people that live fifty miles from where they were born, and you know, look, that doesn't mean that that group is not courageous, right? Mm-hmm. All it means is, for some reason, we like the familiar, and that that was never me. Like, mm-hmm. even with my wife now, if you ask, pull the two of us of what we want for our kids. I have a sneaking suspicion. She's like, "Oh, wherever the kids live is where we'll live." <laughs> And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> no, like, go on an adventure, report back, <laughs> yes, right? Like, yes, that's yes. where we're different, right? Like, yeah. Get um, out of here. Yeah. Fly, then stuff. nest. Yes. Fly, fly away. Yes, and, get out of here. And then come back. Like, go, cut, yeah, report back. I I agree. Um, I, I love that analogy. Um So as you've been working with leaders, what are some examples or how do you how do you really start to infuse courage or, you know, train it or what did you call it? Diminish fear or what does what did you call it? <laughs> fear shrinkage. How do we shrink fear? How do we shrink fear? Well, I'd say the first thing, and I do think it's, um, I do think it's an act of vulnerability, although I have a gripe with the word vulnerability, but it's nothing catastrophic and we can get there if you want to go there. But, Look, I think we're, I think people underestimate the reality of we're all mirrors. Mm-hmm. Like I, I believe that you are what you speak. 
if you speak cruelly, that's what you're going to get back. If you speak kindly, that's what you're going to get back. If you praise somebody, that's what you're going to get back. If you can call out your messy flaws, that's going to give them permission to do the same. I didn't say the word courage yet, right? Like I'm just talking about some of the basics mm-hmm. for for anyone on communication. And I think it's a very lonely place to be of the leader. Mm-hmm. You've worked your whole career off to get there. And one minute you're a peer with somebody in a closed door meeting and the next moment you've been you're their boss or you start a business, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got this belief system and now you're afraid you might, may or may not get be getting the truth, mm-hmm. or you wonder why, to your point, the team isn't communicating back the way they used to. Mm-hmm. And so I think it starts by acknowledging, if I'm a mirror, where do I need to be vulnerable? Hey, I don't have the answer on this. Mm-hmm. This is, this is going to be messy. This is going to be an experiment. Mm-hmm. Or when I'm dealing with, you know, or navigating some of my clients, I said dealing with some of their, some of their messy. I think it's it's just being their friend. It's like, I think, friend gets a bad rap in corporate. It's like a different four letter F word mm-hmm. now, and to me, like that's what I feel like. That's what what they need is a friend who's going to listen, who's going to give it to them straight, mm-hmm. who can provide counsel. It's tough love. It's not tough by itself. It's tough love. Um, I should probably also share that the first six months of writing Return on Courage, I spent most of my time sort of sparring with three questions. The first was, are they going to see me as a fraud? Because I've never written a book before, right. which was my own fears. Yeah, imposter syndrome stuff, right? My own stuff. Yeah. I've never written a book before. How do you do that? Don't ask the astronaut a stupid question, right? Like you can see that one. The second was, do businesses even think they need this? Is courage even on the radar you know, the idea space is a tricky one because in some ways, you know, time doesn't stop and you're throwing ideas into the future and your job is to try to land an idea just before society is ready. Too much, it's too much, too late, you miss the boat. Yeah. So it's it's a timing game. And so I'm looking at this concept of courage going, do people really think they need it? Do they... It, and what I learned was a whole slew of people are just getting trying to get through the weeds of email. Mm-hmm. Public companies are just trying to get to the next quarterly review. Everyone's just trying to matador getting fired. Politics of businesses are real. And I had to really stay in it to go, you know, is this something that they need and that I could even monetize, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, mm-hmm. down the line. And then the other question I asked was, when you look at the dictionary definition of courage, which is the ability to do something that frightens you, um, 
Uh, how could that be the definition? Like, who wants to do that in life, let alone at work? <laughs> and, right, like, please step forward. I'm taking a step back on that. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, curious on if I could come up with a better definition of courage and, you know, who am I to judge the dictionary, right? Uh, Mr. Webster, Mr. Oxford, like, really, I'm going to go there. So I came out the other side. I'd say it was about six months in. And uh, my definition of courage is knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. And, you know, you think about a challenge at work, and we do the very best we can to aggregate knowledge, right? And and I think I think people never feel comfortable that they have enough knowledge. For sure. Mm-hmm. So they so that's where the data comes into play. They they keep collecting and keep mm-hmm. collecting and yeah. analysis paralysis. I think if you, yeah. You know, and it's yeah. analysis paralysis. Yeah. We never we never leap. Mm-hmm. And so how much knowledge do you need? That builds the faith metric. And when we talk about faith, we mean it less in the religious sense and more in the the belief sense and in the intuition sense and in the conviction sense. And um, more times than not, people know the right move mm-hmm. and they feel the right move and they never leap. They never jump. And so ironically, two of three levers in any direction is something else. Knowledge and faith without action is paralysis. Faith and action without knowledge is a reckless move. Mm-hmm. And knowledge and action without faith, if you're numb on the inside and you're going through the motions, and we know many people who've been at companies for 20 years and they're just sort of going through the motions, they're working on status quo. They're mm-hmm. working on safe. Mm-hmm. And, um, hey, nothing wrong with that. That's just not courageous. It's not, that's not my business. That's mm-hmm. not my my target audience. So mm-hmm. everything we do in our business, phase one is knowledge gathering. Phase two is faith building. Phase three is action taking. Right? The knowledge gathering is the think. Mm-hmm. The faith building is the feel. And the action taking is the do. So... Even my partners, one runs the knowledge team, I run the faith team, my third runs the action team. We say we're special forces. That helps you figure out you're special. Mm -hmm. So to me, we're looking at these levers as we go in and go, oh, this is a knowledge problem or this is a faith problem Mm -hmm. or this is whatever the problem might be. Right. And um, and so I think when you have that definition, now it keeps you honest. Like, what do I think about this? Mm Mm-hmm. How do I feel about this? What are we going to do about this? Mm-hmm. And we're trying to implement that with our leaders and our clients so they can stay courageous mm-hmm. as they move forward. Yeah, demystifies it for them, right? Just gives them a framework and a and a tool set, right, for the for the journey. I mean, again, everybody needs an ally. Everybody needs right. a friend. So yes, the to me, it's the framework. It's the it's the words, it's the tools, and it's the confidence mm-hmm. to, to lead courageously and to be courageous. Mm-hmm. Would you say courage is a value? I would say courage can be a value. You know, I think it depends on the company. 
No, I, I, we have a whole, I mean, we would need another hour show on values, but I think if you pull the Ryan Berman string, you'll hear me say, how valuable are your values? I mean, core values are not eye rolls. They're how the exceptional roll. Mm-hmm. And not only do I think almost every business on the planet needs to revisit their values mm-hmm. and make sure that they're modern, make sure that they're driving the behavior that you want. But I would say that almost every leader should look at their personal values. And I would say less than 1% can rattle off their own values. To me, optimism is my number one value. I mean, you know, how much time have we spent together, right? Mm-hmm. But is this a surprise that I'm a glass half full guy and I want to help, right? Mm-hmm. And I see the world through that lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, creativity is my number two value. Mm-hmm. Courage is my number three value. And excellence is my number four value. Almost everyone I spend time with sort of dances with one to four of those values because that's where I gain energy, right? That's where there's mm-hmm. we're in alignment with who I am. Right. And so a lot of the times with leaders, we're helping them figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. One of my friends, Colette Carson, she uh, takes a lot of stages. She says, clarity is a rarity. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that is good. So good. So good. And so I agree. A lot of our work is helping leaders get clear on who they are and then designing the life from there versus responding to mm-hmm. every house fire or every email. It's like, let's take it to it, not the other way around. And I do see it goes throughout the organization that if the leaders aren't clear on their values or they're not create they're not living out their values and these are just posters on the wall. That is that I see that far too often. You you have to have lived values, not just posters on the wall, right? And courage, I I, I know that's one that I align on you with because it, it it resonates within my soul as into who I am, and I'm the one that will speak up. I'm the one that will say something. I'm the one that will do something, even if it scares me. Uh, I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'll do it anyway, right? And I know for a fact that when I'm repelled by somebody, it's somebody that's, it's, I, I don't jive with them when they won't speak their mind. They won't say something. They won't, they're too afraid. And it just, I want to help them, but it's something that they have to want for themselves, right? Or they have to be aware of it. And so, and I really think a lot of it actually comes down to self-awareness. I really don't think they see that you can see that, that they're not being courageous or they're not taking a stand or they're not standing for anything. Well, again, we're back to the, how do you help people be the best version of themselves, but they have to want to be helped. Right. Right. Some, some patients aren't ready to be operated on. For sure. (laughs) For sure. Right. Right. So, um, I definitely have said, you know, if you don't know what you stand for, you never know when to take a stand. Mm-hmm. And I look. There's been moments in my life with certain people that it's it's just a broken broken record syndrome the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like, wow! Every time we get together, it's like every few months, and we're still on the same issue. And but there's no leap, mm-hmm. right? It's just paralysis. And 
that's okay, right? Like, if I can't help this person, then I need to move on too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can't want it more and than so you do, right? That, that's the idea. It's Again, I'm trying to, I mean, as audacious as it is, like I want to find just if I can inspire 1% of the U.S. population, 3.4 million, right, to be more courageous, mm-hmm. to give them the tools, right? I think the world definitely needs more courage, right? Mm-hmm. Like anything that's that we like, it, it was an act of courage at some point. Right. And so if I could get to that 1%, let them do the rest. Let them do the next layer. Absolutely. Of the Kevin Bacon game, right? <laughs> yes. Give them the tools, then yeah. they can inspire somebody else. And so I think that's one thing. And then from an awareness standpoint, you should also know I'm not a I'm not a carpe diem guy. I'm more of a decanium carpe guy, which is seize the decade. And you know, some people like Tony Robbins, some people aren't that big of a fan. I I was at I'm Not Your Guru on opening night in Austin. I had to be there. I was still in my ad world, and there was something that was driving me there that I was interested in, and I remember studying him. And he said something on the stage that night. He said that we overestimate what we can do in one year, but we underestimate what we can do in 10. Mm. And I loved I loved what that did for me. It gave me permission and grace to, like, not have it all figured out, but I had enough clarity to know right. where I was going. You know, I knew what my North Star was. I knew what my lighthouse was. And now it was, all right, how do I get there? I think that's the big challenge for everybody is like, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. What's the mark you want to, what's the mark you want to leave? And then what's holding you back from doing that? Yeah. So do you do some visualization techniques or anything? So like, say you're going to do a keynote or you're, you know, going to interview some big wig on the podcast or something like you get nervous or you get, you start kind of visualizing yourself um, being courageous or, you know, posturing or what are some, for, for our listeners that they want to practice it and they want to just put it into action. I think like some of the times I I use visualization techniques. Do you ever do that? Uh yeah, I do. And I can and I get really laser focused. So I'm good at blocking out everything and just sort of thinking through. Imagine, you know, because I have my podcast too, right? Mm-hmm. It's the courageous podcast. And I'll give you the the act, but then I'll kind of give it to you like I'll give you the show and then the tell, right? So the yeah. show is it's a chessboard. What are my four first four to six moves that I I think I'm going to make? And I acknowledge that depending on the move that the guest makes, that might pivot me into a different into a different move. Mm-hmm. That's the show. The tell is I believe that I'm hyper aware what matters most in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm extremely prepared for the stresses and speed of life and business. And so the, this is all code for how prepared are you really for that next move, for hitting the gas? And 
again, my rite of passage was writing my book. So, yes, it it can come off as a shameless promotion saying, go pick up Return on Courage. The back half of the book is there's working exercises that you can run yourself through. It's going to give you the clarity you need to understand where you should go or where your business should go. But when you're in it and you're the book was not a soapbox book. It was a it was a documentary. And so as I got answers, I moved on to the next and moved on to the next. And I remember telling myself, and remember at the time I had two business partners who were not happy with me because they're like, Where's the book? Where's the book? Let's get the book out there. Here's this business development tool. And in some ways I had the courage to go, it's not ready yet. Right? Like I want to make sure it's my name that's on the book, by the way. I don't want to put a shitty product out into the world. Mm-hmm. That's going to last a lot longer than me. Mm-hmm. At the time, I had a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and I knew at some point they'd be old enough to read the book. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure I was giving them a playbook that if they wanted to follow, they could on how to live a courageous life and be a courageous leader. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's just that. it's It's... It's like the muscle to your, we're back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's the muscle. You go to the mental gym and, you know, again, every day I think about knowledge, faith, and action. I think about, well, which knowledge should I follow? How do you build faith? Where do you take action? I have this uh, label on my phone when my alarm goes off that says transfer the light. Mm. Like I think leaders are in, sometimes when you feel lonely, you're in the, you're in the dark and mm. My job is to be the energy and to be the light and to and to listen, but then to share how can I help unlock this leader so they can be the best leader that they can be, even when they they can't even see it yet. Right. Yeah. That that's that's winning, in my opinion. Absolutely. You're giving them the tools. You're giving them the confidence. You're giving them the support, challenge, challenge, and support, and. And you're right, like, it's it's one of those things that it is a very rewarding experience to be able to help a, move somebody along um, in ways that none of us could do alone, to be honest. Well, I, I mean, I wish that I had, I don't know if I was just too stubborn. I wish I would add a coach or a mentor early. Yeah. It, it wasn't until I was 38, 39 that I finally found somebody that saw something in me that mm-hmm. I hadn't even seen yet. Yeah. You know, and that was a guy named Steve Wilhite. Steve, it's a great story. Yeah. Steve was hired by Steve Jobs at Apple, but he basically was running the Volkswagen business out of Boston, and he's, he, um, He's skiing in Whistler with his buddies when he gets the call from Apple that Jobs wants to meet him. And when you're on vacation and Steve Jobs calls, your vacation is over. <laughs> and so he ends up zipping down, and uh, he's in the lobby. And you know, you can imagine there's it's he's he looks like a skier, so he's like the, the, he hasn't shaved. He's you know he's got nothing with him, and. um the way Steve Wilhite tells the story, he's like, Steve Jobs himself comes out and gets me. And he's like, Wilhite, it's great to meet you. That thing you did with VW, how did you do that? How did you pull that off? And 
Will Hyde starts to explain, like, here's what happened, here's how we did it. And he's like no more than 20 seconds in, and Jobs cuts him off. He's like, no no way. You're full of shit, Will Hyde. There's no way that's what happened. Here's why that couldn't happen. Yada, 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 whatever he says, right? And the first thing Will Hyde's thinking is he's getting ripped into by Jobs. Like, boy, I'm so glad I left my vacation for this. <laughs> and... Uh, and for the next 30 minutes, this is how the conversation went. Will I, Jobs would ask Will I a question. Will I would start to answer it, and Jobs would, would contest the truth of what happened. He's like, no way that did it. That's not how it happened. <laughs> and they went back and forth for 30 minutes. He's like, this is a complete waste of time. And <clears throat> in the spirit of the interview, Jobs passes Will I on to the next person, and he he continues through his half day of interviews. And I think he says he's on the last interview of the day. And Jobs comes in and cuts that interview short, grabs Will Height. They're walking down the hallway. And he says to Will Height, Steve, you're going to be the best hire we ever made here at Apple. And Will Height was like, <laughs> you know, baffled by, by this. And then later realized, well, why why did Jobs do that? I mean, well, the last thing Steve Jobs needed was another yes man. He didn't have a lot of time to figure out if you were going to stand up for your idea or not. So this was the mechanism he did to get to who is this human? Is he going to stand up for his idea? That's or is he going to fold like a lawn chair? Oh, man. And, that's um, you know, so when I met Will Height years later, obviously he was living in San Diego and he saw my competitiveness to like build something real in Fish Taco Land. <laughs> we just, we hit it off and um, he became a mentor. But I, I wish, you know, maybe that's a good place to land or end. Have the courage to call out a mentor. Yes. Have the courage to, to hire a coach. You know, I, Angie, I don't even – I have a coaching program that I don't sell on the website. Like a lot of my – the way you look at our websites, it's even I'm a keynote speaker, it's a workshop, it's an offsite, or we're in the consulting practice and we're, mm -hmm. we're rolling up our sleeves with the client and we're helping them figure out an idea or their tomorrow. And I don't even like saying coaching program personally. But – when I think of the very best coaches, when I think of Coach K, you know, when I think of like Tom Izzo going straight to college basketball, mm -hmm. the idea of getting the most out of a player and a team, I there's joy there. That 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 is where I get energy, mm -hmm. and so uh, I'm sure you feel the same way about your business. Like, as long as I can stay in the courageous space. And I basically get paid to tell the truth. Yeah. Right? I, I'm I'm down for that. I'm in. I'm down for it too. I, I love it. And I wish I would have gotten a coach earlier. What would you say to your 20-year-old self? Um, am I me today talking to that 20-year-old yeah. self? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would say that you're doing like you're on the right path. Enjoy the ride. And Keep your eyes and ears open, and you're gonna. You're again. You're gonna be just fine. I'd start there, <clears throat> and I'm like, and 
there will be stubborn moments that you have decisions to make. Just know you're down down the line. You're going to be just fine. Continue to trust your intuition. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much more I would share because I wouldn't want to ruin the journey for a 20 year old version of myself. Right. And I, you know, and I think that says, if I really look back at it all, there's not a lot of days I would change. Mm-hmm. Thinking about those little kiddos. And, and you, you write in the book about it and wanting it to be a message for them. What do you want them to know about being courageous? And, and, and what that 1%, what is the biggest message that you just really want to create that wave? And, and fill us in really before we end on your courageous week and your courageous um, corporate courage movement. <clears throat> okay, so there's a lot there. I would say just I'll start with the at the at the end and we'll go to my kids. So the two the two things I'm most excited about, one is called Courageous Summits. And I think what we think we know, because you never know, but what we, what we think we know is that it's an absurd time right now for almost every business. Mm-hmm. We have this remote work thing and and it's it in my opinion it is the real losers are innovation and the next generation and the next generation doesn't even know it because this is all they've ever known so like this is a, they're like this is amazing i don't have to go into work i i save 3 hours on my commute i'm productive and they're missing that in the collisions it's like in the cartilage of the business, in those little moments is where you find your mentors. It's in those, you know, Angie, it was like someone would come to my office and say, do you have a minute? And you're like, oh, shit. Like, oh, this is going to be an hour-long conversation, right? And, right? hey, Ryan, do you have a minute? And as much as I would cringe at first, it's like actually in that collision, what came out of that? could take 40 minutes mm-hmm. was a gem right that was the multiplier and now your calendar is like 30 minute block 30 minute block 30 minute block 30 minute block i gotta go to the next zoom i gotta go to the next teams and all those collisions aren't happening and so i think our team realizes it's really hard to make remote work emote work which is what it needs to be and so Courageous Summits is our way of partnering with companies to design two and a half to three day offsites. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the Goldilocks thing. It's like even the offsite that's been planned, mm-hmm. when it's not perfectly curated, is wow, did you really fly everybody in just to talk at them for three days? Or it's the other. It's like, well, that was inspirational. There was a lot of fluff. We were on the golf course for a day. The bar tab was high. Mm-hmm. And like there was nothing on the on the business objectives. And so I think there's a Goldilocks just right. And knowing we have our think, feel, do methodology, we have a knowledge day, which is the what. Mm-hmm. We have a faith day, which is the so what. And we have an action day, which is the now what. And we're building these three-day journeys for our companies. 
We've taken Kraft Heinz through this. Another company in Michigan, Spartan Nash, we've now done two of these four. So we're getting more confidence with this product. Mm-hmm. And the idea is just like, off sites are off. They're just off. Cultures are broken. And um, people are craving connection. They want real FaceTime, not yeah. Apple's FaceTime. Yeah, loneliness is at its all-time high. One out of two people are lonely, and it affects our health. It's just, we need something so, like that. So that's the idea. The idea is Courageous Summits is we're, we're basically launching this product where we'll we'll work with the leader on designing what those three days look like. Mm-hmm. And then we'll hopefully get to real breakout breakthroughs that we'll announce in the room on day three. Mm-hmm. And um, it is. It's, it's, it's taking courage. It's taking hard conversations. It's, um, it's taking clarity. And it's taking connection. And it's breaking it all into one arena. So that's one. Courage Week is going to always be when September 6th is. I'll spare you the details as to why. But um, so inspired by what Chip has done down at MEA. And the more I meet courageous leaders like yourself, the more you want to connect that community. So the idea is to run a three-day event called Courage Week, Knowledge Day, Faith Day, Action Day. And that's not designed for like you and your 400 peers or your mm-hmm. 200 peers of work. It's like, hey, here are people that are leaders that are dealing with the same shit that you are. Get to know them. Mm-hmm. Let's build that tribe. You know, you and I both, by the way, I loved your lion. I loved the, your lion. Thank Gotta you. Gotta say that. It was so cool. Thank you. So, you know, I mean, you got, clearly you see that I have my lion. So the, the whole idea is, is lions lead together. We're a pack. Right? Like, we're a pack. It's <laughs> that simple. Yep. yep. So day... Day one is lions think together. Day two is lions feel together. Day three is lions do together. And that's the idea. So that's coming to, and we're trying to figure out how to do that the right way in year one. And then back to that Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. right? It's what, what does this community look like 10 years from now? <clears throat> and then, um, so those are the two main mm-hmm. focuses for the consultancy. For my kids, um, I mean, I think the layman answer is that just not just talking about courage, but doing and being courageous, when you come out the other side, you're almost always happier. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a muscle. So the more you do it, not that it's easy, but the easier it is to at least do it again and again and again. And so... You know, I mean, I want them to go live that courageous adventure, and and I'm here to remind them that the good news is when you're in a room of 100 people, know that 95 of them have no interest in leaping. That's what the data said. You know, like, freezer flight is real. Mm-hmm. Right? So the fact that, Angie, we're connected, we're part of the five that aren't afraid to, like, do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And experiment and see what happens. And so the same thing. It's as they grow up, there's it starts just as simple like mm-hmm. go live an adventure, be courageous. You know, I've got my little courage bracelet here. They each wear one of these that they're in their school. And I'm like, when you need to be courageous, snap it and you can feel it. Yeah. And um it'll make you happier for doing that. And down the line we'll be like, Hey, here's this is an advantage, actually. This yeah. is a Competitive advantage of only five of you are going to leap. Be one of those five. 
Absolutely. Don't be afraid to be one of those five. I think about our listeners right now and hearing what you're saying and thinking about just even me doing a podcast was scary for me. It's not something I've ever done before. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I've just been doing it anyways. But it's one of those things where I didn't know how I left higher education. Like the safety net, right? Like I, was, I, work, I worked in the operating room, then I taught te- teaching students how to work in the operating room. Those were safe things for me. Being an entrepreneur is not safe. It, it is, it's scary, but it's like it's worth the journey. It's worth, it's worth it. I, I really, you, you read The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink, you really can, you, you start to look at the world regret surveys and what people really regret. It's not the things, it's not the leaps they take. It's the, the things they didn't do that they regret the most. And, and, and so as, as you're all listening to this, I want you to think about it's okay to be scared. It's, it's a matter of just doing the thing anyway. And I hope that today that you got some nuggets and some gems on ways to do it. I mean, it could be wearing a bracelet and snapping it. It could be practicing it, you know, exposure therapy, doing more things that you're scared of. Um, increasing your uncertainty tolerance. You know, we've talked about so many of the things, but it is a muscle. It is, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Even ask, Yeah, even asking you to speak, you know, to be on the podcast. I didn't know if you'd respond or anything, but I would, the answer is always no, if you don't ask. If you don't ask for help, if you don't ask for mentorship, if you don't ask if you don't pay some money for a coach, if you don't get your team the training they need, the answer is always no, right? Like, get out there and do the thing. Take the leap. Take the leap. Even if it's funny, I you know, I got my weekly dose of courage newsletter that goes out every Thursday, and this week is titled Losses More. Losses More? Not less is more, <laughs> losses more. Ooh. And um, it looks at it looks at a particular moment in my life where we where we lost. We came in second, the dreaded second place, first loser, and <laughs> first loser, baby. <laughs> and then um, and then how do I tell my team that? Mm-hmm. You know, and how to how to address that? And um, I had. Friend of mine who used to say, "Those who come in second eventually come in first. Mm. right? And uh, there's a quote. I think it's George Moore said, um, "A, a winner is just a loser. Try it one more time." Mm, love that, right? So the problem is that most people don't even bring a bat to the plate. They don't even show up for the game, and then some finally. Take a cut and lose, and they they stop there, right? And really, the lessons in the in the loss. Mm-hmm. I also think it makes it makes winning more meaningful when you've lost. Frankly, I'll take the wins now. Yeah, I'll, you know, hey, I'll take the. But I acknowledge the power of what's the lesson from the loss, mm-hmm. right? And how do you use that and apply that as you move forward? So good, so good. I'm so grateful for your time. I hope that um, everybody that's listening gained just a little bit more courage and that your courage movement is, you know, just snowballing. And 
uh, let me know how to be a part of it. Let me know how I can support you. And I just really appreciate you taking the time, jumping on here so quick, not knowing me from anyone, right? Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Leader You podcast. If you found this information valuable, please listen, like, and subscribe and share with your network. I really appreciate it. Angela Young's EQ course has been enlightening and eye-opening. I've really enjoyed Angie's unique perspective and her ability to put things in a way that I can use emotional intelligence on the day-to-day. Um, the coursework has been educational and really enjoyable. I find myself looking forward to each coaching call and the coursework as it comes along. It's It's been very educational without being overwhelming. I've been able to utilize it in the day-to-day workplace as well as in my personal relationships, and I really, really enjoy being able to grow in the emotional intelligence space.